man, this place was rocking and rolling last night. Arlene and I were, were uh, had to get over here because it was constant. Uh, it's uh, nothing like, I think Red Bull, should, or maybe Gull Lake needs to become a sponsor of Red Bull, uh, one of the two. So, uh, all right, well, it's been a really long time since we were together. So we've got a lot to cover, and, uh, but let me kind of go back to our, uh, the, uh, the books and so forth. If you uh, won and named that tune and you had the electronic, you got the electronic thing, I gave you a card, uh, there's a sign up there. That's not for the, the book. You need to email me at, and that it's on the address. Just email me, Matt, at, uh, uh, at mattherd.org, and I will send you uh, the Kindle book. And, and by the way, for that, and what that QR code is to a landing page, Reframing Thrive, you can sign up. You get to give your email address. Uh, and it's just some regular emails that are unpacking some of what I've been covering, not the specifics of our sitting at the feet of Jesus, but the holistic calling of the gospel. So, uh, and you can unsubscribe at any time, but the first series is called The Goal of the Gospel. You receive an email about uh, every four or five days, and then the second is on something that several of you have asked me about. What does thriving look like? You've mentioned thriving. You've mentioned the, uh, uh, this holistic call of the gospel, what's being fully alive in Jesus look like. And this is a preview of what you'll get from an email standpoint and just unpacking this further. I call it daily, my daily dozen. And uh, I'm not gonna spend much time, but I'll, I'll go over this real quick because I do this every day. From John 10, 10, what does it look like to be Zoe alive? What does it look like to be relating with God so intimately, uh, John 17, 3, that I'm experiencing eternal life on a daily basis? Some days better than others, but I use this. The only reason it's an alphabetical order is for me to be able to remember it. That's not in priority necessarily, but bottom line, every day, sometime in the morning or midday or end of the day, and sometimes more than just once, I will say, all right, am I living with a sense of awe, sense of wonder, sense of mystery, sense of worship and everything? Am I noticing? Am I paying attention? Brokenness, am I uh, leaning into brokenness or am I trying to avoid it? Am I stewarding brokenness? Am I going to God for uh, healing, but also for wisdom as to how to navigate? Uh, when I read the news, often I'll go to this because of the fallenness of our world. We'll talk about that a little bit. Creativity. We're all image bearers. We're creators. We're makers. What am I making today in terms of relationships, acts of kindness, uh, systems at the office, solutions in medicine, uh, big, small? Am I making today depth? We're going to come back to this this morning. Am I living with a sense of depth today rooted in Scripture? Not just looking at what's happening in my relationship and in our culture, but why it's happening. And discerning from that engagement. Am I engaging my culture? Am I engaging the people around me in evangelism, uh, in acts of justice, in acts of compassion, fellowship? Am I walking fellowship, friends, family, all of those are Fs. Where am I relationship-wise? Generosity? Am I being generous with what God has given me? Time, ability, finances? Am I living with a sense of uh, an engagement of, of, of my heart? We'll look at this a little bit more uh, later this morning as well in terms of heart is not emotion. It includes that, but it's so much more. I was heart illiterate for, uh, for a lot of my early journey 
with Jesus yet. Romans 10, anybody know Romans 10, 9 and 10? How do you believe? It's with your heart. It's not just a mind thing. It's not just a will thing. It's not just an emotion thing. It's all of the above. Am I engaging my heart in my, in my journey? I is intimacy. Am I being intimate with, with Jesus today? John 17, 3. How's my walk there? Uh, the J is journey. Am I participating and seeing today as part of this overall plot that God is unfolding of redemption and restoration of all things and seeing the significance of the little things that I might be doing that will lead to the glory of the Lord once again covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. K, K kindness. Am I walking with that spirit of kindness towards other people and L, paying attention to longings, uh, to my longings and bringing those to God? Uh, so that's that, you, the preview there, but that's what you get some emails on every, every one of those just to unpack them further. All right. So, uh, by the way, any, is there anything just glaring question-wise on that? Uh, I know I didn't tell you ahead of time we'd have Q&A time. Actually, I don't know if it'll be Q&A time. It could be a Q time, and I might not have an answer, but anything that has been pressing you, saying, if you ever ask for a question, I'm going to ask. So I'll mention that again later in the morning and as you, as you ruminate. Okay, you guys ready? Let's talk to our teacher. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that your mercies have greeted us new this morning. And that from the rising of the sun to the setting, your name is to be lauded and acknowledged to be enough. I'm so grateful for what you're pouring in to these men and women here. Uh, some through the, just the reconnection with their kids, those that have come as families. Uh, I, 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 there are all these things that are bubbling under the surface, I'm sure, and I'm, I'm thankful for, it's like this jar, that jar of river water that Ruth Haley Barton talks about that uh, just gets settled and the sediment goes to the bottom and some clarity comes. Would you feed us? Which enable us to taste your life. To walk knowing that abundance in which we're both rejoicing but sometimes grieving, but doing it all underneath the umbrella of you as way and truth and life. So enable us to sit at your feet a little bit this morning. I don't know what each need is, but you do. May the chaff of what I say dissipate quickly. But may the kernels of, of, of truth, as we cover a lot, I'm going to trust you, Holy Spirit, to drive home to me and to my, my friends what we need to hear. And one person, your, your, you, 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 Spirit, you Holy Spirit, might, might prompt them to, to engage with that. And then the very next thing that's said, they might not hear it, but the person next to them will. And they didn't hear the thing before. That's the beauty of what you do in your body. I do pray that we would be men and women that would be 
not just adept, or actually not just, not adept at religiosity, but adept at deep intimacy with you and vibrancy. And may that be what's generated as we're at your feet. I pray this in the name of you who are, who's someone that has summoned each of us here today for this moment. So may we embrace you as way and truth, but also life. Amen. Amen. So, was it Monday? What is today? Wednesday? So it was Monday night. Seen so the longing. We talked about that a little bit, and some of you might even have questions on that. The psalmist talks about, God, my, all my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. And your longings right now today might be different from yours. And I'm not referring to, if you weren't there Monday night, I'm not referring to the longing to be an NBA basketball player, um, concert pianist, CEO, uh, a pastor, a missionary. It, those are all pursuits that we adopt in order to fulfill these longings. Mary had them, Martha had them, all the people around, every human being has these. They're the residue. I'm not going to go over the list again. We talked about it the other, other night, but they're the residue of who we are as image bearers. So here's where I want to pick up this morning. He's made everything beautiful in its time. We notice that there's something obviously intentional about creation. But he's also set eternity in every human heart. And so it's not just an aesthetic thing. It's something that's, that's spiritual. That's in, every, that's in a fallen heart. That's not just in church people. That eternity in our heart, all these things are expressions of that. They, they, they come out. So every one of these are going to be fulfilled completely uh, in the new heaven and the new earth. But for now, we have that compass, that music that C.S. Lewis says we're born remembering. But... Here's the, the issue of the fall. It works here, right? Well, not really. Can you guys see that? Maybe not. It's better to walk over the drum set and talk about it. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So that's kind of where we are. As image bearers, reflecting and bearing his image, we've got a DNA about us, a music that we're born to remember. We've got longings, but we can't make sense. We can't fathom what to do with those. So as a result... We take a different tact as unbelievers to fulfill these that we, as, than we do when we are followers of Jesus. But even when I'm a follower of Jesus, there are times that I'll, I'll go about in, in sinful, deceitful, or at least incorrect ways and try to fulfill those longings. And every sin in my life is related to my fallen nature, seizing to that eternity in my heart and twisting it those twisted, those, those uh, twisted desires, those deceitful desires. So, what do we do? What we learn to do as human beings, as fallen human beings, Emily Dickinson describes it beautifully. She says, we grow accustomed to the dark. 
When light is put away, a moment we in certain step for newness of the night, then fit our vision to the dark and meet the road erect. So we've got all of these longings that are, that are unfulfilled and we try plan A or plan B or pursuit D or pursuit F or X or Y or Z saying maybe this will satisfy my thirst like that woman at the well. Maybe, maybe this will do it. Maybe this will do it. Maybe this will do it. And after a while, uh, that Thoreau's, all uh, human beings live lives of quiet desperation. Sooner or later, say, I don't know it's going to happen. So, but we just learn to deal with the dark. And then along comes the gospel. I mean, there's that perpetual darkness that we're in perpetual state of death and a perpetual, perpetual state of darkness. Think of the uh, slides and the videos that you saw in Russia uh, above the Arctic Circle and the impact that that has spiritually, not the physical place, but imagine being in that space spiritually. That's where we are as fallen human beings. Now, Isaiah refers to it as people groping around, walking in darkness. Men and women who have these longings, they don't know what to do with them. And they're feeling their way around as blind men and women. Now, I, I uh, uh, live in Colorado, and that, that, therefore that would tell you that I'm a diver because it makes so much sense. There are so many large bodies of water in Colorado, right? Actually, Colorado is number two in the nation behind Florida in certified divers. Um, and I went down to Cozumel for an advanced scuba certification several years ago with a, a friend of mine, and we did something we'd never done before. We took a night dive. And a key in a night dive is a dive light. This is not a, this is not a dive light because it's not waterproof, but I didn't bring my dive light. So I went into the dive shop and said, uh, I had a little bitty pen light that I used to look in crevices and so forth during a daily, but I didn't have the, the, a, real, a real night dive light that you can navigate with, so I wanted to buy one. The guy said, you don't need to buy one, you can rent one from us. I said, do you have good ones? He said, si, senor. I said, really, are they very reliable? He said, oh, si, senor, here they are. I picked the most expensive one that wasn't that much and uh, said, okay, I'm gonna rent it, and then I turned it on. I said, so uh, the batteries are fresh? He said, si, senor. I said, you sure? He said, absolutely, sir. But your dive master will have extra batteries if something happens to your, uh, to your batteries in the dive. So we head to the dock at sunset. And uh, Cozumel, uh, it, it's, when you're diving in Cozumel, you're not anchoring and going down and coming back up. It's a drift dive. There's, there's a very fast current that's, that's moving through the second largest coral reef in the world. And people who struggle with diving say, why would you want to dive in the first place? And B, why would you want to dive at night? And the reason is that coral reef is a, a, a thoroughfare of marine life during the day. But at nighttime, it's rush hour. Stuff comes out that never comes out during the day. And 
So we got all set, ready to go, geared up, and a drift dive, they go, they drop you, and the, the boat will float along top, will drift along top. You go along with the current. You got to keep your eye on the coral, because you're moving at a pretty fast pace. Coral, got to keep your eye on the coral reef, because you don't want to do damage to it or damage to you as a result. Your dive buddy, your dive master, the marine life, there's a lot going on, but people say it's worth it. So I said, all right. So we dropped down, went down to 53 feet, Turned on our dive lights, obviously immediately was a moonless light, so this was it. And for, it it was the best dive I have ever taken in my life for 22 minutes. And you know what happened in 22 minutes. I mean, it it took about 10 seconds. It wasn't fast. Light starts going and then it is out. Now, do you guys know, you ever notice that how most wetsuits are black? You know why they're black? I never knew this. Uh, they're black so that when your dive light goes out in a night dive, you're camouflaged from your dive buddy and he can't find you. That's why <laughs> wetsuits are black. He said, I was going around, then turned around. You're gone. It freaked him out. He's looking around for me and I fend over. Again, we're moving this whole time. Fend over to him, grabbed him on the leg, which was not the wisest thing to do, but <laughs> which is another reason that wetsuits are black, probably. It's helpful to disguise it when you, never mind, uh, when you get scared so bad. But he looks at me, eyes big, and I said, I said my light's out. All this hand, hand signal, I said, you, you and I are going to be BFFs like we never have before. And so I'm, I'm, I'm drifting alongside him, and I'm just totally dependent on whatever he's shining his light on. And it was unsettling. I was totally dependent at the same time. All right. And then I was in front of him and a little below him. And the dive light was over my right shoulder. And we come this way. And he stops. And I'm looking. It's about 10 feet away, not, not exaggerating. And a 9 to 10 foot shark is right there looking right at me. Now, it, was, it turned out to be a reef shark. But when you're uh, 53 feet down and no light, adjectives don't matter. The noun matters. Shark. And so everybody gathered around. Of course, I inhaled about half my tank of air at that moment, which was helpful because it took me up above the shark. So I'm now looking down at the shark. Everybody else is gathered around. Again, we are still drifting along, moving. And after the shark was gone, then I had to find Rick again. And, uh, you know, it's that little story, are you my mother? I'm going up to all of these divers. They all look the same. I'm scaring all of them to death. I get to him and he said, we agreed, this is nuts. So we surfaced early, uh, did a a little buoy light and the boat came back and and found us. The next morning, I mean, I've grown up You've grown up in electronic, we, we don't know darkness. I mean, I, I'll, I backpack a lot, and even then, you've got the light of the stars. I'd never been in that complete darkness in my life. And so the next morning, I read a couple of passages. This was one of them. And I also read this one. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. He's not making a religiously flowery statement. He's talking to these human beings who are walking in darkness, who's got their scene sooked, and they don't know what to do with it. They don't know what, what's going to satisfy their thirst, and he's, they're lost. He says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
the light of zoe, not bios. It's not the light of biasuke, meaning physical, all human beings. Again, if it's your first time with us, we all have heart beating, hearts that are beating and lungs that are breathing. We're all alive in that sense, but we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're dead to the ultimate fulfillment of our humanity, to God's glory. We lack the zoe of God. Jesus comes along and says, I want to give you the light of zoe. That's why John introduces Jesus this way. Under the Spirit's inspiration, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Just brilliant. But then he says this, in him was a great religion. No. In him was phenomenal morality. No. You're saying, well, did Jesus, was Jesus, Jesus taught the morality that he espoused and taught was, was brilliant. Sermon on the Mount is one of the most amazing uh, uh, moral, do, uh, moral statements ever made. But it wasn't just morale. It wasn't just ideology. It wasn't just theology. John said, here's what was unique. He lived with Jesus for three years. He watched him teach. He watched him do miracles. But he also watched him laugh. And he watched him eat. And he looked at him. And he was with him when he cried. And uh, when they, they journeyed together. Have you guys been uh, watching The Chosen? The, uh, uh, the, the, the series The Chosen is just phenomenal. Dallas has done uh, Dallas Jenkins done an amazing job. Dallas is Jerry's son, by the way, who did the Left Behind series. But uh, the the humanity of Jesus, just in his the way he relates with the disciples, and they walk together. John had walked with him. John has lived his whole life. He's writing this as an old man. All his other, as far as we know, all of his other companions, the other disciples, by now, are uh, are have been martyred. He was persecuted as well, but not to the point of death. He was exiled. And he says, let me tell you, I'm just imagining him as he's, as he's got by, maybe by candlelight and some parchment, and a quill and parchment, and he's writing and the Spirit is doing something phenomenal. He's reflecting back on these three years. And he says, in him was life. What was so contagious about Jesus was not just his morality, his ideology, his theology. It was the fact that he was fully alive. He was the, the first fully alive human being since Adam and Eve before the fall. I want you to think about that for a minute. Now, identical? Of course not, because he's fully God as well. But it wasn't that God was saying... Uh, wow, that first plan didn't work out. I got to come up with something else. No, he, he said, I'm going to glorify myself by bringing my, my creation back to life. And John caught that. You see it over and over in his, his writing. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness hasn't understood it. So with that setting the stage, let's go back to Luke 10. All right. And Jesus' disciples were on their way, and he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary. Both Martha and Mary had the same, had the same sinzuk as you do, as, as I do. And, but they're figuring out that Jesus is, is the answer to that. There's light in what he says. Martha's sister was called Mary, and she sat at the Lord's feet 
listening, and now I want you to pay attention. We're going to spend some time on this. I don't know when we're going to break exactly, but I, I promise you you get breaks, and I promise we'll be done at noon. Fair enough? Uh, and it could be that we'll spend more time on this and less time on the second part this morning, but I can summarize it real quickly. But I want you to focus on what he said. Mary was hanging on what Jesus said, but not, hey, this is some really cool religious teaching that he's giving. Something supernatural going on. He was illuminating. She was paying attention to what he said. So, we've been dealing with stillness. We've been dealing with submission and dealing with our sinsuk to now comes scripture. What he said, she was paying attention to what he said. When I'm, as Jeremiah talked about, when I'm finding his words and eating them, I'm paying attention to what he said. Here's the rendition of that passage. She stilled herself. Contrary to Martha, took time to calibrate what's it look like it's saying. I'm going to discipline myself to stillness. I'm going to submit like that clay in his hands. I'm going to sit at his feet, and I'm going to listen. But I'm not going to listen just kind of. St- I've, I've got issues. I've got longings. I've got things. I'm, I'm in touch enough with them to know that they're there, and I don't have the answer. So I'm open to you, and now speak. Holy Spirit, speak. Now, when I bring up Scripture, especially for all of us church people. Immediately we can get into uh, an, an automated religiosity. says, okay, yeah, Scripture, we know that, uh, kind of come through that. We know beautiful passages like Psalm 43, 3, send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Yes, go back to that. Think through it in darkness. May your truth guide me. So, if you've been a navigator, or you've done any of the navigator stuff, you know this. His word's a lamp, it's a light. Anybody here know the the five fingers? You remember those? Some of you have been through those. Uh, You want to grasp the scripture, and I added one for my sons, the palms, so there's there's six. But you hear, you read, you study, you memorize, you meditate, you obey. Okay. Okay. But I want to caution you, and maybe it's a reset. If we've grown up in the church and we've been dealing with the scripture studies and Bible studies and uh, we, we, we seek to get people, all right, let's get every, uh, how many of you say, hey, if everybody in our church or ministry or in our family were hearing and reading and studying and memorizing, meditating and obeying, wouldn't that be great? It would, as long as it was according to what Jesus is referring to when he says, I've come that you might have life. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus actually rebuked some religious people for their Bible study. You guys remember this? This is a chilling passage, but it's also liberating. Jesus says, he said to the Pharisees, you study the scriptures diligently. He's not rebuking them for that, though. He said, because you think that in them you have eternal life. You think that if you get your religious 
uh, orthodoxy down, that's going to take care of all of those, those longings that you have not been able to maybe articulate, but you know are there. He says, let me tell you, these are the very scriptures. The power of the word is that these are the scriptures that testify about me. He says, but you refuse to come to me to have Zoe. I've never understood it. And those of you who are in vocational ministry, you know the same, same deal there. I have never understood how there, there are plenty of seminary professors out there in, in some institutions, liberal institutions, that don't know Jesus. I've never understood that. But there's something about, you know, you still get into a great moral document. Brilliant ideology, maybe theology, but they've not come to him to have life. So close and yet so far. In fact, it's a little dangerous. And that's saying it lightly. You can be in the word so much but if we're not letting it lead us to the cadence of his zoe, of his life, of, of his vibrancy. I brought this up the other, other night, John 20, 31. John says, remember, old man, parch, uh, uh, quilled a parchment saying at the end of my life, I've included what I've included in this so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And do not, do not, do not think that's a big deal and then a lesser deal. There's nothing in what he says that takes them off of the same plane. They are both contingent upon one another. If I'm truly believing in Jesus as the Messiah, not just describing to a doctrinal statement, but, but believing with my heart, exercising what the Reformers referred to as fides viva, a living faith, it's going to lead to vibrancy. Vibrancy is a human being, life in his name. I uh, was, I don't know if this was in a discussion with one of you or if I said this, so sorry. Did I talk about Christian school administrators? But, uh, I was speaking about this one time at a conference and sat down doing it and I had a morning plenary session. I was at a hotel. Remember back in those days when we'd go to hotels and actually have big meals together? Uh, I sat down at an eight top and if there was only one spot left, I sat down and had no idea who these people were. Uh, they were Christians, about five of them were Christian school administrators, a couple of principals, a vice principal, a dean. And I just talked about the part A, part B, purpose A, purpose B. So they brought it up, we were talking about it, and so I just took a flyer. Said, okay, uh, what, um, how many of your faculty would you be confident in spending 30 minutes with a junior in high school? Josh says, it was with you, I think, that I was talking about this. Um, it is Josh, right? Great. I had a girl in college, uh, she called me Bill one time on the quad, and I was talking to somebody who had something in my mouth chewing, and I didn't correct her, and by the time I swallowed it, she was gone, and... Next time she saw me, she said, hey, Bill. And I, I was too embarrassed to correct her. So I said, hello. And so for two years, every time that girl would say, hello, Bill, I would respond. Sorry, something shiny. All right, coming back to 
so Christian school administrators, how many of your faculty would you be confident spending 30 minutes with a junior in high school to describe part A, purpose A? What was their answer? All of them. They wouldn't have a job at the Christian school if they couldn't talk about this, what it means to believe in Jesus the Messiah. I said, great. How about part B, purpose B? How many of your faculty would you be confident spending 30 minutes with it? Juniors in high school, I picked that just because they're starting to call things out. Describing, talking 30 minutes with that junior one-on-one so that it's not a lecture, it's dialogue, but saying, this is what life in his name looks like. They hemmed and they hawed. And I said, that's part of the issue right now. They're, catching our, they're, seeing, they're hearing our orthodoxy, but they're not seeing our vibrancy. They, we've got the lyrics, but we don't have the music. And it's not one without the other. You can't have vibrancy without orthodoxy. So when I'm studying Scripture, not only for orthodoxy, but also for vibrancy, and I'm involved with several pastor care ministries, not pastoral care, but pastor care and so many pastors are just deeply struggling. And some of it is because so, so much of the training is in orthodoxy, but not vibrancy. So there's a front stage orthodoxy, but a backstage bankruptcy that we've seen come out quite a bit uh, in, 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 in recent days. So just think of the next time you have a quiet time. Jesus saying, hey, make sure that you're letting this lead you to me for Zoe. Not teaching you how to be a better doctrinal student only. And I'm not denigrating that at all. Go deep in the orthodoxy, but also go deep with the vibrancy. One other way this comes out is in a statement Jesus made in John 14, 6. There's an exclusivity clause at the end of this verse that we all, that's why we all, most of us know John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. But look at what he says. It's one of the most brilliant statements, I think, humanly speaking, that Jesus made. I'm way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. I mean, Plato and the others had come up with the transcendentals of goodness, truth, and beauty before that. I think there's some parallels here. I won't go into that, but bottom line, Jesus covers the waterfront. He says, I'm way, I am morality, I'm truth, I am theology, but I'm also life. This, I, I was looking around, there's no three, very rarely do people do three-legged stools anymore. But if I had a three-legged stool, let's say I were to say two of these legs are really important, one of them not so much, like a tripod, you'd say that's ridiculous. They're all equally important. But for some reason, within our churches, when we move down that comfort zone of, of smug religiosity, we downplay vibrancy and we'll either uh, uh, overplay maybe its truth, some of... You, you grew up in churches that are real truth churches, and not saying anything, but it's like a, a, a seminary class uh, when you go. Fantastic, unless that's all it is. There are others that really focus on the behavioral side, the, 
maybe it's the uh, maybe it's biblical obedience behavior. Great. Sometimes it's just weird legalism. Not so great. Uh, sometimes it's both and. You want to be part of our church? Here's our doctrinal statement. Agree with it. And this is our the, this is our subcultural code of conduct as a church. We'll describe some of them overtly, a few others you just need to pick up on. As long as you can behave like us and believe like us, you're one of us. Well, that might be true. We might be part of a religious clique, but are we part of the, of the throbbing, thriving body of Jesus? Jesus would say, no, you're studying the scriptures. And who, who did Jesus reserve his greatest um, ire, ilk, frustration, anger, who did he reserve that for? The Pharisees, the religion, the people that were the, that were the religious crowd. A couple of years ago, uh, a couple of guys, Miroslav Volf and Matthew Krosman at Yale, they uh, wrote a book called the, "For the Life of the World." I first found out about it because Mako Fujimura, I'm on his board, they asked him to do the cover art, and uh, and, and they, but I, it's a phrase I use a lot. For the life of the world, because that's what the gospel's for. So, started reading it. Just so rich. Uh, if you're theologically inclined, uh, it, it's a great book. The, he said, one in there. He says theology is in crisis, largely because it has lost its nerve and forgotten its purposes to help discern, articulate, and commend compelling visions of flourishing life in light of God's self-revelation in Jesus Christ. Theologies should lead to vibrancy, is what he's saying. So some people react and they say, well, let's have a, uh, a church that's about life, but they forget the way and the truth. And so it's, it, it's all of the above. It's way, it's truth and life, but it's not, it's not compartmentalized. You, you can't have one, if it's way without truth and life, it's not the way of Jesus. If it's truth without way in life, it's not the truth of Jesus. It's his life without way and truth, it's not the life of Jesus. So it's all the above. Truth illuminates the way to enable life. And to deal with one is to deal with all of them and to embrace them. And so when I come to Scripture... It's not going to fold over it, but picture this. In your next time of devotions, maybe not doing devotions. Some of you, I think I've, I've hurt some of your feelings when I said that the other night. But it's, when I say doing devotions, that just seems like it's so um, rote. But having devotions, experiencing devotions, having a quiet time, getting into the word, I mean, we're becoming biblically illiterate, and it's a crisis. But the answer is not just become literate in terms of the orthodoxy of Scripture, of the way and the truth of Scripture, but the vibrancy, the life. And so when Mary stops her schedule, which we all need to do to calibrate, to get back on course. And she brings this pliable, submissive heart. And she's authentic about her longings. She says, I want to listen to what you have to say. He says, I'm the light of the world. So engage with me in this way. 
to go over these depending on uh, when we take our break and so forth. But this is what I'm about to cover for a little bit. So when I come to Scripture, it's basically saying, okay, I've got this light, and it's in, in four directions. The first one, it's, it's, it's on me. The Word of God illuminates who I am to me. So it's, uh, the, the direction is down, kind of who am I. Then I begin to open the Scriptures, and it goes ahead from a guidance standpoint. Where am I going? And then you see the perspective part. It's around, any of you ever been in real, real, uh, you, you've been with my sons. You used to love to do this with, with the, the boys. And we'd be, we'd be backpacking or camping, and we're out in the middle of nowhere. Actually, you go to the middle of nowhere, take a right and go another 20 miles. And uh, so we'd go out with, with flashlights. But then I'd, want them to, I'd say, turn them off, especially if it was a moonless night. It was awesome. Because it's a little, you know, yeah, you, you, we need to be illuminated about who we are and where we're going. But also, we always want to know, what was that? What was that? But we also need Scripture to, to shine back. Has anybody here ever said these two words about something in your rearview mirror? What if? Or if only. If only this had happened. If only I hadn't done that. All this stuff in my rearview mirror, my windshield's bigger than the rearview mirror intentionally. But when I really began to get into the word as as light. It's all four directions on me to expose who I have, to enable me to be honest with me before God. I had, okay, give me guidance here and direction around, give me perspective. Backwards, enable me to reflect underneath your sovereignty. Make sense so far? I'll find out if after our break, the room's empty. I'll know. It, it really didn't make sense. Uh, but go ahead and take a, how long, five-minute break? Can I buy a minute and we do four? I'm just kidding. Five minutes. So 11.17, so 11.22. Fair enough?